Well, hello and welcome to the first ever Coaching Uncovered podcast. My name is Brent Davis and I will be your host for these sessions. And we're fortunate enough today to have Scott Williams with us. So he's my first ever guest and we're going to have some fun with this podcast. So hopefully it'll be nice and uh, casual and a nice conversation going. So welcome, Scott. Please tell me about Thank yourself. Thank you very much. Oh, what an intro. You sound like you've done that before. Um, well, thanks, mate, for having me on as the first guest. It's uh, maybe it's a little bit more nervous than I expected. I don't know why. <laughs> People probably won't ever go back to this episode. But no, that's it. Um, so, what do I say? So, I'm an accredited exercise physiologist. Okay. Um, working in the field as a practitioner, uh, I've got my own clinic. I also work here at the PJ Center for Learning and Performance. Um, so I'm here a couple of days a week at my own private clinic, a couple of days a week. Um, got a bunch of uh, golfers that I see here and both at my clinic and I guess, you know, golfers are everywhere. So as in traveling around a lot, so I'll catch them wherever I can really in terms of the players that are you know trying to make a living out of it. Um, I'm also doing a PhD. Yeah, um, cool. So, and my research is specifically on golf performance. So, okay. kind of all ties in nicely. My clinic is down in Sorrento, so it's kind of down on the peninsula where there's nothing but golf courses and wineries. <laughs> yeah, true, um, true. And the odd beach. Uh, so it all kind of kind of ties in well. But um, I guess as we get sort of talking, you got some questions for me. I have um, got some questions, <laughs> and, and and we'll certainly like, cover off on those on those areas you brought yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. So my my route into into golf was sort of not necessarily planned. Okay. Um, I'll say I'll start by saying that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's cool. Well, probably the first question for everyone out there, and also for me, is what is the difference between an exercise physiologist and say the the old garden variety personal trainer? <laughs> I've got to be careful because my brother's a personal <laughs> trainer, um, and uh, and there's nothing nothing wrong with personal trainers. So basically, it just means um, I went to university and did a degree and. Now you need a, a master's, an applied master's um, oh, okay. as well to become yep. an, a, an accredited exercise physiologist, which then means that we can do Medicare-funded work, we can do okay. work cover work, TAC-funded work, Department of Veteran Affairs-funded work. Um, and in a sense, the role of an exercise physiologist can be anywhere between tackling chronic disease with patients mm -hmm. um, alongside physiotherapists and um, diabetes educators so allied we're an allied health practitioner basically so um, the gps have a network of allied health practitioners that they can refer to yeah. either funded or privately funded so medicare funded or privately funded and we're just one of those and it's our job is to provide exercise regimes for people so that they can ideally self-manage themselves yep. um but often you know i'll be training people in a in a small group and it's sort of i find supervised works quite well um so i did not i haven't explained what a personal trainer is but i guess most people generally know what one is but um they it's more of a um oh, it's a certificate for to do a personal training course and there's there's nothing wrong with that in fact it's a great way for people to start out in the industry i think yeah um and then potentially continue on and go to university and end up um you know doing what i do but yeah, um not that they need to but there's so there's a bit of a distinction to the naked eye if you were to walk into my clinic and look at what i'm doing and what a personal trainer who you know we've got personal trainers that work at our clinic yeah right next to me may be indistinguishable okay. on a given day so it's certainly that background training that you've done as opposed to a say 12 month cert four course or a 12 month um qualification or a six week one yeah i think they've think they're cracked down on those ones a little bit more these days good idea but um you've done a four-year degree 
in that. Yeah, field. well, I mean, we're going to get into that, but my path. So I'm in my early forties, and my path was quite different to what you would do now. Okay. So long and convoluted, um, not a clear path. So basically, when I when I completed my first degree in 1998, there was no um, Medicare funding for exercise physiology. It wasn't an accredited. Um, we weren't a regulate. We didn't have a regular rated body, so we didn't. Um, we weren't basically allowed health practitioners yet, even yep. though we did try and distinguish ourselves from personal trainers. It was really just, hey, I went to uni, that guy didn't. Okay, I'm better, I think. Yep. Maybe I wasn't, but you know, I had more of a qualification. Whereas since 2006, we've been on the Medicare um, funded work. So there's now, and all of a sudden, you know, all the universities jumped on board and aligned all of their education, so you could go degree and now masters so it sort of changed over the years i think five or six years after i was out of uni it was a grad dip that you needed and then it kind of went from there so so how does that work for you and if you went through before that came about do you get um that accreditation there was technically done the yeah so i grad so i got accredited in 2002 i think it was okay and i think a couple of years after that, there was what they called an amnesty. Yep. Where they basically said all of those who are basically working or, or wish to work in the role as an exercise physiologist, um, but you know haven't gone and, and done the extra uh, accreditation that we're expecting you to do over the next few years, they can basically get accredited now and prove that they've actually got enough, had enough experience, etc. So there was an accreditation process for the grandfathers okay. of the industry. Yeah, yep, definitely the stars. And, and then basically since then it stepped up and stepped up and stepped up. Three years after that, it was all of a sudden it was a legitimate career pathway. Yeah. Um, and But since then I've gone back and I'm doing it. I did an honours and I'm doing a PhD anyway. So yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I've kind of picked my own path that way. But also I was probably feeling a bit guilty that I didn't have the masters, to be honest. Yeah. 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 So that, that pathway, your, your, time frame, your timeline is close to my golfing time timeline yeah so we're going to uni while yes. i was hitting golf balls around there <laughs> exactly. being, a, being a trainee golf pro so that that's that's definitely pretty cool mm. um so your first role out outside of outside of study so after you graduated where was the first role you started i actually go back further than that further so than that, i would okay. go way back in time i didn't want to go back into sort of you know early childhood years but today but probably don't have time but um, I actually started in high school. My first part-time job was actually at a golf course. Oh, was it? Right. Okay. So Were you picking up golf balls at the I, driving range. I like did me? everything. over mates pinging balls at me. You know, hitting <laughs> one irons back when they had one irons. Um, nice and low, trying trying to get the gap in the cart that picks That's up it. the ball. Target <laughs> practice. It's always That's good right. fun. And um, so I worked in a pro shop. Worked on a driving range, worked on the ground stuff. Um, actually did a little bit of marketing towards the end when I went back and did a postgraduate business course. Okay. Um, just for a little bit. Uh, so I kind of worked in most departments of this resort, at, which is now uh, Cape Shank RACV. Yeah. Um, which have done some really good stuff out there. Uh, so I worked there for 10 years. So through high school and university, I was sort of spending my you know weekends working and, and whatever and school holidays working a bit more etc. Yeah. Um. At a at a golf course and not thinking anything of it, it was a great job. Like in, yeah. hard to leave. Okay. Like <laughs> you're outside in the sunshine. You're, was, you're you're yeah. out there in the on, on the golf course. All and the I time knew and it. I knew when I was leaving that life was going to change. Not to say that everyone's uh, job at a golf course is easy. Far from it. But um. Uh, I guess I had the cushier roles. 
So I did that and then finished uni, finished my first lot of uni, went and got a job at a gym. Okay. Yeah. Got a job at a gym. Is that kind of the standard role that someone like you would, would go then, into? Yeah. Back then. Go straight into there that. There was no accredited exercise physiologist around then. So it was really, I really just filled, I really just played the role of personal trainer with a degree. Yep. And to be completely honest, um, wasn't super skilled practically from what I did in my degree. Okay. Um, so it was really like, wow, I've got all this knowledge, but I don't feel like I know how to use it. And interestingly, the thing that I felt probably got me through that first tough six months when you're in a, a work environment working with clients and um, trying to look like you know what you're doing. My work in hospitality at the golf course was probably the only thing that actually got me through that because, you know, Having university that personality, really I suppose. That. Yeah, Being able to you talk learn to a people. lot trying to keep people happy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I, I say similar stuff to trainee pros and I was the same when I first came out. You you do your traineeship or you do your, your training and you come out and try and apply it in practice and it's a, it's a struggle. Mm. And you think, what the hell am I doing? And I've probably screwed up just as many golf swings early on in yeah. my own coaching career. But I always tell the trainees that if you, the stuff that you're giving them even early on is always better than what they're doing at that time so even though you go back 10 years or 20 years and think back and what the hell was i doing doing? yeah you are improving those people you are giving them something that's an improvement on what they're doing at that time so that's That's it most people haven't spent the time to learn what you guys have learned or what i'd learned and so they were still better off yeah Um, for sure but, uh, but, you know, I believe that the, the courses at university are probably becoming in some ways a bit more applied. Okay. Um, so I noticed that, uh, you know, the physio, the allied health practitioners that come out of uni now <coughs> are kind of ready to go, which yep. I wasn't. But okay. learned quickly because I had to. You have to, yeah. yeah. And yeah. if you if you if you're out there as a as a subcontractor, I'm guessing in a yeah. in a in a, in a um, fitness environment, if you aren't doing a decent job, you're not going to get the clients, you're not yeah. going to get the money okay. coming in. Exactly. So yeah. You have to do it. So obviously, you had a bit of interest in golf before mm. you've specialised in that golf area. So being being yeah. at a golf course all the time, but yeah, what was the 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 switch? to make golf your speciality it's a really good question and i actually do have a half decent answer Great. so <clears throat> so it was 2001 so i just left i was the out gym i was out trying to be a tour player in 2001 that didn't last very there you long, go well, so you might you might know this fella who probably did a little bit better than you by the sound of it i'm but, sure uh, he did <laughs> but uh a bloke called marty doyle just yeah. walked in the door at my clinic in sorrento and said he, he must have, i don't know how he heard about me it was really weird. I can't even remember how he found me, but was like, um, I want you to get me fit for golf. And and he was on, he had some tour status at the time and I thought mm-hmm. this was pretty exciting. And I actually was still working, I think, every third Sunday at the golf course, just, oh, well, yeah, just okay. keeping the dream alive for another couple of years. Yeah, that's it. And, um, and so uh, I still kind of, and I was like, oh, it's interesting. I'm sort of still working in golf. So I trained him and he was a really diligent trainer, you know, just did all the right things. Great first client to have in terms of, um, you know, someone who really wanted to be an athlete. I might have had one or two sort of semi, semi-serious athletes before that working at the gym. Okay. But, um, but it was the first, you know, fair in person I could watch on TV playing and that sort of thing. And yep. it was like, yep. wow. So I really threw all my eggs into that basket. It was a great opportunity. I've always been... Just don't screw him up. Well, yeah, I've, I've always been... I probably did. Sorry, Marty. I've always been um, just a competitive person myself. And um, 
But, you know, even at that age, probably thought, I don't think I'm good enough at anything to actually do it myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, someone that's having a crack and trying to make a living out of it, I thought, well, that's that's pretty close. So, um, and there's probably a lot of people in the industry really, isn't it? We didn't quite make it ourselves. Yeah. We love the, you know, we like the process. We don't mind the hard work. Um, so if we can help other people, we do because it's kind of fun. So, and then a couple of his mates came in and so another couple of pros that I was working with, really good fellas and... Um, then a couple of years went by and I wanted to continue learning more about that and God knows how I found it because the internet was still pretty slow back then, it wasn't been, it? It so would have been. It would have been. Plug into yeah, the phone socket. used AltaVista or Yahoo search or something <laughs> yeah, and it. something, you know, as the page peeled down, I, I saw a <laughs> course with um, the AIS service providers for the golf program. So, okay. so Mark Holland. Yeah, I think it was Mark Holland. Mark would have been. Was it Dennis McDade's name was on it, but I don't think he was actually there on the day. And it was Ramsey been, McMaster. Would it have been Ross Herbert back then as well? I think it was just a couple he, of years after he, Ross, actually. Yeah, he, he could have maybe just passed away. Yeah, I think he. Yeah, I think he passed away in two thousand one, didn't he? Because yeah, I remember I the thing so, on the yeah. wall down there. Anyway, so this is two thousand three, and so um, guys like like obviously uh, Mark Holland. Yes, it was Marco and Ramsey. Would have been I Gareth, think that was Gareth Jones, maybe as assistant coach. Oh, they were in the AOS. They were working in the AOS program okay. at the time for sure. Yeah, just this weekend. It was a weekend course. Oh, okay. yep, they ran right. an actual course, um, and that was great. Really good fun, um, and I learned a lot and started using that information. And so I kind of I'd heard of Ramsey through Marty because Marty had seen him a couple of times and. I'd seen the video and heard the accent and I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> Great guy, cool He's guy. seeing stuff I can't see, even in yep. this video. Oh, look, that's not right, that's not right. And I'm like, what's he looking at? <laughs> that's a pretty good Scottish accent. Yeah, yeah. You've done well. Well, yeah, we, I've copied him, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, and anyway, so then a couple of years goes by and it's now 2005 and um, uh, Russell Jarrett was the strength and conditioning coach in the AAS program okay. and he was working in with tennis and golf and the AOS golf program relocated from Sandingham to Moona Lynx. Yep. Somewhere there. It was difficult for him to travel down from the city and look after both sports. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden there was an opening and um, I think I got the heads up to apply for the job just by hearing that it was available. And I applied for the job for strength and conditioning coach for the AOS golf program and I got it. So then all of a sudden, 2005, I'm you know, strength and conditioning for the AOS golf program right. and learned off guys like, um, well, again, obviously Mark Holland was the head coach, Ryan Lumsden, you know, my head was just spinning <laughs> with the information that was coming from him. Um, so I knew I had a lot to learn and um, and obviously Ramsey was, you know, a big part of that there as well. I just hope I'm not forgetting people. Um, and then 2006, there was a few other people come on board. So Maddie Cutler came on board. Tony yep. Meyer came on board as yep. the assistant coach or the scholarship, scholarship coach. coach. Yep. Um, he beat me for that role, by the way. Oh, did he? <laughs> Not my fault. Uh, he's, he's, I was beaten twice. I got beaten by Tori O'Connor, the first one. Yes. Prior, prior yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, Tori was at Serena there for a while yeah. too, I think. So yeah. prior to Tony, uh, she beat me for that role and then uh, Tony beat me as well, so... <laughs> all good, well, I, got, all I sort of had good luck early in my career and then I find as I'm getting older and better, it's actually getting harder, which is weird, but still, <laughs> that's, that's okay. Um, so, yeah, so I mean, it was really just kind of kicked on and evolved and changed a lot year on year from there, but I was kind of um, 
just I was kind of in it then. Yeah. Really. And then it just expands from there because as yeah. as as our understanding of of golf changes, then mm. obviously how you train it changes mm. as well. Yeah. So Just yeah. just on that, what the big the big change or what's the biggest change you had to make as a trainer from training average Joe in the gym to now training high level athletes in golf? Was there a, a huge change? So what what are the key differences? Yeah. Probably one of them. So I've just got um, as as we were talking about before before the podcast started. Um, I've got my head so far in the weeds at the moment yeah. with, with my um, PhD research. So I'm doing sort of part of my lit review, and I've literally got 250 peer reviewed articles that I'm sifting through with a reasonably fine tooth comb and pulling out all the findings from and putting it together in a bit of an analysis. So I const- I'm constantly finding information that I go wow i didn't know this yeah i wonder how many other people have got this even as one little concept in their their mind as being a priority yeah so translating the science to the practitioners is going to be a real focus of mine and i'm probably jumping ahead too far with no, things you good. want to talk about yeah. later but um so it's actually it's kind of a hard question to answer right now because yeah, there's yeah, just I so many there's so many things, but there was one article that I read recently where I went, you know what, that's a pretty good summary. And that is that range of motion and power slash force contribute relatively equally to uh, distance, ball speed, club head speed. Okay. So what it means is to me is that you can you should definitely get them more uh, stronger and, and more powerful. And when I say strength, I mean that in two ways. I mean that in um, maximal force, but also mean no weaknesses in the body so that they don't get injured. Okay. So needing to understand the forces that they experience in the golf swing to make sure that their body, and then you know, targeting those muscle groups to make sure they're not going to break down because there's actually more force in the golf swing than people think. Yeah, definitely. So they need to be strong. They need to be powerful. But that kind of goes for everyone. But here's the here's the kicker: you can't lose range of motion. Yeah whilst doing that you have to have both. because there's an equal contribution between range of motion and strength and power. That makes sense. So if you get someone 20% stronger and you rob them of 20% of their range of motion through their strength training, which by the way, you'd really have to stuff it up. To do that? Basically, bad technique will do that for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, it gets, it gets, he gets short. Yeah, you get adaptive to- shortening. The muscles you don't want it doesn't allow proper range of motion. Um, the joints never don't sit flush in the center of the sockets. Or the grooves, depending on the type of joint. So, um, you know, theoretically, get them twenty percent stronger, but lose twenty percent range of motion. You've achieved nothing. It's just yeah, yeah. Back so to square one. Basically, we want to maximize their flexibility for them yep. individually, and this is where I think possibly flexibility has been overstated in golf. Well, that's funnily the, enough. I was I was I was actually yeah. going to head to that. Yeah. So probably early on, in you when you first got out and you started working in golf, and me as a golfer myself. Mm was taught early on don't do strength training don't do strength training flexibility work just stretch get get yeah just stretch get just maybe wrist curls get flexible <laughs> get, get yeah get your, your grip strength up and that was basically it but mm. these days and even in physical training in general mm. we're starting to understand that sitting on a on a cardio bike isn't the best way to to get slimmer or to get get fitter you have to incorporate strength training in your training yeah, and and it's it's a hard one because the more comprehensive your program is, the better it is, right? Yeah, for sure. But you need help to get to that point, and um, and 
you know, I kind of look at it, I'm realistic about it. Like if someone's going to spend two half an hour sessions a week looking after their body, what's the best way for them to spend that? If they have two one-hour sessions, what would that look like? If it's three one-hour sessions, what would that look like? Okay. Now, I think most pros, even if uh, most players, but even if you were a a tour player that was, you know, really serious about being reaching their potential, there's so much you can do with three one-hour sessions a week. It's, 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 um, and, you know, be... If you were to do that for 12 months, you'd still be improving after okay. 12 months. Even after that. So, okay. you, you know, you, that would probably buy you two to three years worth of, of improvement. You don't need to go crazy. But you need to do the three one-hour sessions a week, not drop it like a hotcake for six weeks, come back. And it's just the consistency, I understand, is difficult when you're traveling and you're on the road. But if it were me, knowing what I know and I was a tour player trying to make a living out of it, I would be doing it. If it gives you that little half a percent gain on the rest like of the field, injured, for example. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, but you obviously you need to pick and choose what you're doing pretty carefully, ideally based on the screen. And this is the way, the way that um, I guess practitioners in Australia that have worked in a group setting, um, which we're you know re- reasonably good at doing, it's always going to be based off a of screening. Now, what's in that screening? I'll be hopefully having some influence on over the next couple of years with yep. some new things that we're finding. But just any screening to determine where where are they restricted, where are they weak, that's going to get you a long way. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. It's an evolving space. And Absolutely. It's, um, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is very cool. So um, what's the biggest misconception that the average player has out there with, the, with um, tied into golf fitness? So you've got the average golfer that goes to the gym what are they doing wrong that they shouldn't be doing in that, yes. in that training? Um, okay, so the ones that are actually going to the gym? Yes. Well, so, that's the ones the, that are, <laughs> so there's, 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 I'm sure there's heaps out there that, that don't do it. Misconception is you don't have to do it. Yeah. So that's pretty bad. Get in there um, to start with and then bet, if they get in there and start, yeah, so how do they screw it up? So if, someone, yeah, if someone's in there doing three one-hour sessions a week, right, now, I mean, there's some doing more than that, and that's fantastic. But let's just be realistic. They're doing three one-hour sessions a week in their in their off weeks. This is not when they're playing. And I'm like, well, that's great. Now, number one, I'd be like, you know what? It's great that they're doing it because they've got a routine, they've got a habit, they've got a structure in place. It's easier for me, someone like me, to come along and go, great, we just swap that out and put that in. Swap that out and put that in. See the way you're doing that. It's there's nothing wrong with the exercise. It's the way you're doing it. For example, okay. so we just get. So it's honestly, it's the lesser of the two evils. It's it's not. It's I don't view it as a problem. I look as a good opportunity. I'm like wow, this person's actually got the motivation to train. They're doing it. Let's just make it better. Yep. Um. So there'd be a lack of rotational exercise. Okay. Um, which is really weird because straight line kind type of, exercises. Yeah, like to- your typical gym program. Um, you know, and often it might be that they train with guys who are really keen on the gym, the young younger guys, and their you know their mate loves training, so they do the same stuff that he does. And it okay. might be, and typically strength training is is straight up and down, straight back and forward, and there's no rotation. And we know that we know from the research that, um, like for example, the cable golf chop, which I've actually got in trouble for this exercise before, but I'm going to hit back because there's Let's been a couple it. of Let's go for it. There's been a couple of um, I hope I'm allowed to be controversial. I won't yes. swear though. No, it's not on episode one. No, no. Um, it's a non-swearing one. It's, we can kind of try and keep it clean. Let's keep it clean. Yeah, this is good. 
um, just in case my kids listen. Um, so so they got the golf cable chop, which is essentially like a wood chop exercise in the cable, but done often with a rope and down to impact position. Okay. That has been, that's the highest correlating exercise with increasing driver club head speed. Okay. More than squat, more, more than, than, you know, deadlift. I was compared to bench press it was compared to a few different strength exercises and that one because it's specific yeah it, it's yeah. A, a golf swing type movement isn't it yep now why it's controversial why i've got in trouble for this exercise before is because if a player has a bit of a technique flaw in their swing that they're trying to oh, work okay. on yep. and yep. the coach is desperately trying to get them to move differently come from the inside whatever if whatever it might be if there's sequencing wrong for example C- correct and, exactly and they drag that sequencing error across to the exercise now i would argue well they've been doing it like that anyway at least they're getting stronger now yeah but there's obviously a missed opportunity there the player can actually use the mirrors in the gym they don't have the complication of trying to hit the ball to a target they can actually get the sequence that the coach wants into that drill yeah well I'm, so I'm, to me that's not that well, difficult I'm, I'm curious too if you add obviously swinging a golf club is quite a light mm. club and you're swinging that if you add a bit of extra weight to that movement wouldn't the natural type body movement come into play more often than the sequencing may improve because it has to be more efficient because, because it's yeah, harder yeah because yeah. you're, you're, you're actually are shifting more weight oh look i won't lie i've seen people do it wrong yeah, yeah. Right. Like, you know, and it's basically they're just doing another 10 reps, you know, two sets either side of the 400 reps that they've done in the driving range. So why are you picking on the, the 20 reps that are in the gym that are going to pre- yeah. pre- like potentially prevent injury? But I agree. I would much prefer to see them sequencing properly and using yeah. the positions that their coach is working on. And to me, that's just an education thing. It's not that hard to overcome how did we get onto that one no, oh, so the importance of rotational exercises yeah, yep, but, yep. but better if they're done correctly yeah for sure correctly whatever that is but again that, it, it comes down to golf swing it comes down to everything if you if you aren't doing it properly then it's not going to be of the most possible benefit to you to your change yeah and so, if a player's in the gym to improve their body for golf um you know, provided they're reasonably well supported with coaching, etc., they should probably make the link. You would hope so. I would think so. You would hope yeah. so. Anyway, sounds good. Now you weren't overly keen on talking on this, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. <laughs> so I'm going to throw you in the deep end. And as we said before, you start off in a certain field and you improve as you go along. So mm. you published a book. Oh, yes. And I've got that book at home. <laughs> I like the way you let in there. That, <laughs> and, that's nice. I'll let you talk about it now. And and I use that. If, with my, my, my students at the time. And, oh, thank you. And I think it, uh, it had some great stuff in it for yeah. the time that it came out. And obviously yeah. things evolve over time and golf coaching is the same. And we, we go back to theories of books that we looked at 10 years ago and think, yeah. what the, the hell was I doing teaching yeah, that yeah, rubbish? You know, pre-track man or pre-D-plane. Or, yes, yeah, you know, for oh, sure. Hang on a minute. But yeah. So things evolve over time. So you have to be proud of the... F- fact that you published a book so don't yeah that was good that was good and i've got to thank my brother-in-law for that that's where i was going to go with that one so So you've you've gone through uh through the family there with that so that came through the brother-in-law what was the the aim of publishing that book when you first put it out there it's a really good question so 
Um, so my brother-in-law uh, was a journo for the Herald Sun for 15 years and uh, since gone on, he's actually now working with this, the new basketball team, South East Phoenix. That's, that's the wrong team. That's the wrong team. We, 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 oh, no, I'm on board, mate. No, I'm on board. We're going with rising out of the ashes and no, they beat United they in their was first not, game. was not happy about that. I was, yeah, pleasantly surprised. So... Uh, anyway, so he, he's a good writer. Um, and look, he was going through a phase of writing. I think he published about 10 books in about three or four years, it seemed to me okay. anyway. Um, and it was just like, well, let's do one on golf fitness. Golf That's fitness. what you do. And um, we both love golf. And back then, we were playing a lot more than what we are now. Your kids were like really little. And then we sharp, uh, you know, smarten up our act and stop, stop playing golf. And actually, parented <laughs> our kids instead. Yep. But, um, you know, we're pretty keen on our golf. Uh, and so I put together, you know, a bunch of exercises. But look, the challenge for me was, you know, how do we make this user-friendly, easy to read, um, so that any club golfer can pick it up and get some benefit out of it. Mm. Um, and we used like a, a bogey par birdie system so you could actually screen yourself with some basic physical tests. I think I might have seen something like that in some of Ramsey's stuff <laughs> at some point in time. I probably ripped off half of Ramsey's <laughs> stuff. Sorry to the great man. No, um, that's good. And... Yeah, and, and look, it was it was good. We actually sold I don't know three thousand copies or something. Like yeah, it actually yeah. did okay, and it was it was a good experience for me to just see what's involved with that and see how the agent plays their role and how they get it into bookstores. We're in all the all the bookstores, um, you know, probably just before bookstores really started getting smashed. Yeah, now it's all uh, online stuff. Yeah, and, with Amazon and whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, that was it was a good experience, and like I'm not. It's just one of those things, you know, like I've obviously put so much more effort into researching exactly what it takes to optimize physical conditioning, et cetera. And um, I'll look at that 10 years down the track and go, Ooh. Yeah, no, but again, it's, it's uh, part it's not, of your um, personal growth as, yeah, as a trainer. Yeah, that, that, that's right. That's right. But, you know, it was yeah, literally 10 years ago. So that was good. It was really good. Um, it was good. Is it something that you would go back to once you've finished this PhD? Possibly, possibly somewhere down the track, I might try and formulate all of my ideas and systems and frameworks into like a, a user manual, almost like one that could be picked up by an academy so that you could do yeah. all the physical conditioning sort of out of, not a textbook because that's going to be crap, but something similar to, to that in a way, I guess. Um, and But, you know, it just depends what market you're going to hit. It's hard to hit the club golfer recreational market and the sort of uh you know uh high performance industry at the same time you got to kind of choose one don't you i think so and i'd probably probably choose the upper end yeah probably in my personal opinion if you're going to do it properly you're probably better off going down that high performance as opposed to club golfer because it's going to have to be simplified and maybe made even too easy for the average player that doesn't practice doesn't do any fitness work doesn't do any of that stuff that we all should be doing and it's that same thing of um you know if someone came to me and said i've got two half an hour sessions a week to devote to improving my body for golf get rid of a couple of niggles etc what do i do well that's going to be in the club golfer book yeah if it's like well if we wanted to do it properly test our athletes understand them better individualized training understand um and then you know how to track them over time and how do we monitor them and etc 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 what does the science tell us tells us the best way to go is well that's that's probably more where i've been spending my time and effort 
that makes sense. So yeah. uh, on your research, we I'll give my other podcast a bit of a plug now. So <laughs> we had you on the MFG show yeah, recently talking about the sweat study. So I won't talk about that too much oh, today. I stuffed up a detail there though. Oh, did Lilia you? What did you do? Smashed me. Uh, <laughs> Mike asked me on the fly because it wasn't really my study. I knew a bit yeah, about it, yeah. but um, it was, it was uh, how much salt would you need to consume to get that certain amount of milligrams into your body and i went oh it was it was a certain amount of sachets he's going well how much does it equate to in teaspoons of salt i said i don't know a teaspoon per sachet because okay. that's what it looked like but that would be that's a lot it's too much oh is it i was okay. about 10 okay. times too much <laughs> 10 times too much don't so i omit that detail okay i will um, but, um, correct that again <laughs> but with I've my been corrected this way. Now. okay so that's that's all good so we'll we'll steer clear of that one but i can <laughs> i can send people off to check out that podcast yeah, that about, the, about the sweat study but tell me about your phd tell me about the research you've been doing with that because obviously mm. it's been fairly full on you've been bringing golfers into the the pga center mm. here to um to test them and um, get yep. them back again and test them again so yep. tell me how you started with that and tell me what some of the, the early things you're finding? <sighs> this is hard too. This could be a long um, Yeah, question, yeah, because like at the moment I'm, I'm doing like a measurement property analysis um, of all the different tests that could be used in golf to actually determine which ones are the best. Okay, so it started so off as we've got all these fitness tests out there. Yep. Which ones should we use for golfers? Yes, correct. So there's probably about 70 or 80 that appear in the literature. Mm-hmm. Um, that that either sort of you know some of them they show up as being correlated to better performance every time yeah um, but it depends how you measure it you know a lot of the studies take twenty elite players or so twenty you know tour players or professionals PJ professionals and compare them to twenty twenty handicappers okay you go, what are the differences right <laughs> so it's a cross sectional analysis and there's a lot of physical differences that occur okay that show up which go hmm interesting but if we take, let's just say, so some of those that would show up would be grip strength is a big one. It's really big for females, it seems. Seems yeah. to be a, so a lot, most blokes probably got enough grip strength to get by, but um, females, it seems to be like a lot of them are just on the threshold and don't quite have enough grip strength. Okay. Um, but we don't know if we improve grip strength in a group of people how much does that then improve their golf performance? Okay, yeah. Right? And is there a ceiling to that? So is it, you know, so if I get a, so some of the better people that were doing the, the grip strength testing were getting 60 kilograms per hand of squeeze, you know, force that they could create. So if I take that, and that's a pretty good score. So if I take that person and, and really train them hard and get them up to 65, does anything change? Or did I just waste my time? Right? And if there was, say, two or three areas that weren't as strong as they should have been, if you had improved something else, would that have made a bigger difference? Generally speaking, that's my um, my starting point with training people is get get it like a radar plot of all their tests and go, where's the weakness? Focus, bias your training towards that. It doesn't mean don't maintain anything else, yeah. but bias your training towards your worst bits, yeah. whether they Which are flexibility, sense. strength or power. Golf so, training is exactly the same. We, we skill test golfers and, okay, we find that there's a problem with, with the irons or the short game or the putting. That's where we tend to go first. But yep. we still keep that other training going as well. Yep, yep. So basically I've got a 154 golfers 
and ran them through a battery of 22 different tests. Okay. Um, and, uh, and then did that multiple times. So we'll be able to actually see how, how and had it had them in the hitting bay as well, hitting balls. Yeah. Um, and uh, we had like an accuracy test as well. So 120 meter shot to a target, see how well they could hit driver. And basically we're going to um, see how, map it out and see how it goes over time. So most of the studies uh, are either they get a snapshot of the good golfers versus the bad golfers yep. or they give them a six-week program and everyone improves and the golf improves a bit. Great. It's been done to death. And we know that. Go, so what happens over the longer term, which is more reflective of what we'd be doing with a golfer. So normally you'd expect you know them to be training for a year or yeah. 10 years. Wow. But you know, let's see if we can see what happens over the, a number of months. So I ran that for about four, to, uh, 12 months actually, 12 months, yeah. Yeah, so you've been, how many players did you end up testing? 154. 154 players yeah, came so through that program. Nice spread of players, different abilities and ages, so male and female. All the way from tour players all the way through. I saw some tour players floating around, so you've had, yep. to, had some tour players in there. Yeah, yep. I'd like to get more. Like yep. really, really good tour players. Um, but yeah, we've we've got enough to see how the different levels perform, but how it changes over time. This is going to be the, the yeah, big thing. That's so. going to be the the new information that I can hopefully bring to the table. Anything standing out as major grip strength for females? Um, and the med ball throws. Uh, so simple, but really, really yeah. tell you a lot. So chest chest pass with the med ball, sit throw. So we included some of the TPI tests to see how they perform. And to be quite frank, they seem to be performing pretty well in terms of the strength and power testing. Okay. Sorry, the power testing. Um, uh, so the range of motion stuff, we're still digging, but initially wasn't showing as much as we expected. Okay. So, so interesting. again, going down that, that, down that strength path, path yeah. as opposed to... A, a, bit, a bit more so. But that's not to say... You know that's group that's group um, based data. Yeah, doesn't mean that we ignore someone's individual range of motion needs. restriction as an individual. Yeah, and you know this is the big challenge: is how do we translate data and science and findings, scientific findings, into the practitioner? Yeah, which is you know I guess that's possibly going to be my role in a way. Is there is there again? This is just based on my own personal experience and without having your expertise. But when I was coaching in Taiwan, mm. I had a whole lot of kids that were ultra flexible. Um, how would you deal with someone like that? Like I had, we finally got them on three D mm. after working with some of these players for six months on slowing down the the shoulder turn on the backswing, and yeah, yeah, and yeah. she still had one hundred and ten, one hundred and fifteen degrees of shoulder rotation so that was even after six months of coaching to try and stop that wow how would you how would you help fix someone like that how would you stop that type of too much flexibility yeah so two things i would think about there so number one i'd be just doing a bunch of stability based stuff so making sure that they have the ability to stabilize each joint in the range of motion that it's required yeah. so there's, there's one thing to be able to stabilize your arm as you stick it out straight but can you stabilize it in rotation okay so making sure that you include in their program things that can become kinesthetic tags for them so they if they do enough strengthening work with control over over that range of motion then they've got something that they can recognize as a feeling when they're actually making the golf swing so in a way they become more coachable yeah because they know what the hell the feeling of stabilizing that joint is 
And B, do they have the capacity to stabilise it? Are they strong enough to stabilise it? Because you're talking about teenage They are. They Asian. are, yes, 16 to 18 type age group. Yeah, so they tend to be pretty floppy. Yeah. Um, and the second thing is how much do we need to restrict them? It's all about quality. You For guys, sure. this is right down your alley. Like quality rotation versus... So, you know, just because you've got a lot of rotation doesn't mean it's bad rotation often with club golfers it is because they don't actually have the range of motion to get into good positions yeah so they end up getting all disconnected and we could all agree that that's not what you want but maybe some of these guys they're just going to have those really awesome asian dynamic swings that you get that's, where you just go how, oh, how, that yeah, looks good that's that, <laughs> that just works that as just long works. as it's balanced and you know sequenced properly and where you want it to be and you know the biomechanist is happy. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, so um, that was that was a real uh, a real test as a coach for me to, to be able to mm. see that and get that person to swing. Yeah, to go. Wow, this is different. more like what I wanted, and, and I was still brand new to three D at that stage as well. So I yeah. was, I was, yeah. I'd seen bits and pieces of Ryan's stuff. I didn't see a whole lot of it yeah. until there, and we had it tested in the states when we were over there for the states, and just to see how much and again for her as a player was yeah. her ability to see what it actually was yes. so i'm standing there telling her on 2d swing video that you're over rotating over rotating over rotating mm. we got her on a on a system and she could see that there was 110 degrees of shoulder turn that but was it the number or was it the way she was doing it was she tipping and doing all sorts it of was things not to try and maintain balance like going, we obviously weren't happy with it no going back through it now as a coach mm. maybe it was more of a look thing for me like mm. I was big on that time of shortening swings up, mm. more control. That was my my theory as a golf coach. Mm. Um, it was still quite functional, even though it was an overswing and an overturn and across the line at the top. So, again, this is prior to TrackMan data as well. So yeah. I didn't have any TrackMan data. So I'm just going on ball flight. So I'm seeing a big shoulder turn across the line and. 20 yards of draw on the ball flight. No. So I'm thinking that <laughs> if, if we shorten it up, get them more on plane at the top of the swing, um, then we can straighten out that curve. So yeah. if if I had access to more data back then or access to other trainers, possibly would have kept it as it was. But yeah. she improved over the time. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is where I think from a science point of view, we need to be doing cohort analysis. So, so I can't generalize the findings from 25-year-old tour players who are mostly Caucasian with 16-year-old Asian players. Yeah. You're not going to be using the same corridors, I don't think. And I feel like as a, as a golfer, they've all got certain feels that they look for. And when you think about what that is, this is just, this is my personal opinion, I'll probably get shot down for this, but, you know, <laughs> when you feel certain muscles and um, tendons stretch, particularly in transition, you're looking for that. Yeah, that's the familiar feeling of it stops there and it changes direction because it stretches a bit. They've got to go so far to find that Definitely. stretch feeling, and that's why obviously in the gym, hopefully tightening them up, tightening them up a little bit. Yeah, um, with stability based exercise, well, hopefully they can find something familiar just a bit sooner. So I've yeah must be hard for them to shorten their swing I'll, and be I'll like, show you this girl swing. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll show you this girl swing one day. You can have yeah, yeah, yeah. See what it's like. The fact that it was cross-line draw, I mean... Yeah, yeah and you know, that's, concept that's as well. Because the work you guys do, like, um, it's not... I don't envy you because what do you do? What do you do with that? Yeah. You've got to make it work better, don't you? Yeah, and it was a concept thing too. I turned up there and when I first started coaching in Taiwan and put these kids on, on swing video and looked at all hitting 
inside drop 30 yard hooks yeah but they're taught that from from really? juniors because they're asian they like draws it goes further they're short hitters yeah, 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 I've yeah, got yeah, yeah. I've got guys hitting at 300 yards average, but they're short hitters, so they're all hitting 20, 30 yard hooks off the tee. Can't cut it to save themselves. So when it be said, yeah, okay, yeah, it's just sort of a cultural thing. It is. It was, yeah. and it was it, it was a concept issue with these guys and trying to break through that concept. Mm. The fact that you don't need to curve it that much. Wow, well, I mean, was a real challenge. Two players I've known don't mind hitting a fade into a green. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and they, well, when I tell them to show me a fade, they hit a little five-yard draw and they go, see, it sliced. <laughs> so no, it didn't, but it was that was what they were. Wow. They were just ingrained from when they were real small to hit these, hit these yeah, big rope and hooks. fascinating. And then, you know, um, you know, Nick, Nick Belowski and I have had chats about this. You know, at what age and at what stage do you sort of go, let's just leave that swing? Yeah. Let's just let, yeah, let's just, let's just learn to play with that versus the rebuild, and um, it's a shame that you have to rebuild because culturally they're being taught something that you know it won't work for everyone. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, we don't know those answers yet. <laughs> no, I'm no, so that's glad it, that's, that's, that's not my job. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think with your research, we're going to have to get you back for a second yeah, podcast. Yeah. Are we there already? Are we? We're getting close to the end of the oh, time. Give We've, me the um, fast four. We're we just skip over it. No, no, no. We're going to going to get keep you here to the end <laughs> but um we're definitely gonna get you back once you've published your research thanks mate so we'll get some more um more info out of you once you've got uh, some some yeah, conclusions but on this podcast i'm going to try and have four questions that we're going to ask everybody that's on there so i've cheated a little bit and given you a bit of a heads up on <laughs> on, on what questions we're covering you had to. so just to give you a bit of an idea so we're going to call it the fast four and the first question of the fast four is well, what advice would you have for someone starting out in your field of expertise which is obviously exercise physiology yep the advice for the person starting out um basically i understand that most of us early in our careers take every opportunity that we can get you know we yep. basically say yes to everything and it's only been very recently when i've basically said yes to everything for 20 years um but obviously at some point you know you need to try and uh sort of narrow what you're doing and i think the way to to make sure that you get to move in the direction that you want with your career is to always have a, as clear a view as possible of where you want to be in five or ten years time okay um because you know we, we obviously get busy with our work and we get busy doing things for other people etc particularly for an employee um, but you know sort of five to ten hours a week that we might have to continue developing ourselves you want that time to be going towards where you want to be in five to ten years time yeah for sure okay. so um and you know one of um actually one of my clients was doing a master's in psychology and she was looking into um people who achieved well at school versus the students that didn't and the one of the key findings the key differences was knowing where they wanted to be in five years time and having a long-term plan to get there if you've got no direction um well, there's no urgency to change anything, and you just go with the flow and, and just bubble along. Do what and you do, and there you are in 20 years' time. You've, you know, like Mark Collins says you've lived the same year 20 times. Yeah, and that's it. <laughs> Rather than uh, 20 years. I, I, that's that's that is pretty cool advice. Is to have that have that that end goal. So, from a from a coaching perspective myself, I wanted to always be involved with high performance coaching, and that's why I did what I did with my study and things like that. So. Mm. Do you ever think it's too late to change tack or change path? I'm still at uni. My kids think it's hilarious that <laughs> I'm a student. Yeah. Like even the other day, she's like, I've got to go to university. Are you teaching? I said, 
No. I'm sitting in what the classroom. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, so I'm a student. That's, yeah, no, that that <laughs> so is cool. That is it's cool. It's a bit embarrassing, but... Uh, but you know, to be honest, I just I love having that little side project going. It kind of yeah, keeps me definitely. fresh and keeps me tired. Yeah, but it's uh, but it, I you know I hate being stale. No, that's I hate really, being stale. That's really cool. Really mm. good advice. So down that same kind of vein, advice for athletes in your area of expertise. Mm. So what what should they be doing out there? What should the average club golfer be doing out there to improve themselves in this space? Well, this is sort of general coaching advice, but I, I would say again, it's kind of eighty uh, percent. 80-20 rule. So 80%, 80% on the process mm-hmm. and 20% on the outcome. I think you still need to know where you're going. Yep. Know where you're going to be in five years and that you want to be on this tour or have this status or win a, win a tournament or whatever. But 80% needs to be on the process. And a lot of that, as I've sort of mentioned before, is getting excited about working on your weaknesses. That makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Which, you know, it's really, particularly when these guys are basically CEO of their own little mini empire, yep. being a tour player, <laughs> yeah, um, pretty lonely empire at times, no doubt. But um, it's pretty easy, I imagine, just to drift along and get out there and practice, etc. But are you actually identifying and working on your weaknesses? Um so that that that'd be one thing dedicating themselves to a regular physical regime would be another one um you know i just think there's still it's one of the last remaining sports where there's so much to be gained by the person that is a diligent regular physical trainer i just yeah there's literally no other sport that's left where you go oh that stone hasn't been unturned yet yeah, it's all been it's all been done it's all been done except for physical for and golf, golf. Okay. um obviously the top end it's becoming the norm yeah but uh there's a lot of lot of opportunity there and um probably the last thing i'd say to the athletes is to this is not an easy thing because i don't you know they need to access the information but to use what the science tells us about more efficient practice Um, as i've been digging into the literature there's just so much to do so using practice circuits rather than just doing blocks of the same training helps the nervous system learn so for example get two hours to to uh to practice instead of doing 40 minutes long game 40 minutes short game 40 minutes putting you would do say 15 minutes of each three rounds yeah works better yeah but it's just not known and people copy the person next to them who's doing what was done 20 years ago Yeah, exactly so um getting up to date with what the science is saying about practice um and as i know you're a big fan of this but um pre-planned periodized um you know practice and physical regimes where doing the right things at the right time exactly going from blocks technical block practice varied practice as you get close to tournaments match specific and having it planned out so you can actually tick something off so that you have some tangible clear sense of progress where you go i did this today because so often it's untangible it must be untangible for these guys and you know they put in four weeks of hard work they go play a tournament they might play average how are you feeling pretty pretty burnt out by yeah, that I think. whereas if you're actually engaging and feeling good about what you've achieved in your practice to me that's just well it comes again to what you said earlier that. with that with that process so if you've got a, a like a training diary or a training log mm-hmm. that you're ticking off processes as you're going through them that gives you that sense of accomplishment that i'm going towards that long-term goal that's sitting out there so yeah. <clears throat> i'm i'm achieving those little steps getting towards that end yeah. goal rather than just... Because energy is the currency that these guys are living off when they're not... There's earnings. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and then there's energy. Yeah. And the energy is got to be getting topped up on a regular basis. And for me, 
it would be, you know, if I get a list of a whole bunch of crap I've got to do, I'll make a list and I'll tick it off. And it feels cool. It, and it, it feels, feels good. great. And yep. this is really crap jobs that you're going to do, but it feels okay. Now, when it's, yeah, you know, that's, uh, I just, to me, I would, I would highly recommend that. Yeah. And if it's been laid out thoughtfully by their coach, even better. Even better. Yeah. No, that's a great that's great advice there too. So third question in the fast four is would you change anything in how your career's progressed? Like I <laughs> certainly would as a as a golf coach. Yeah. Um, I would have gone possibly looked at college golf when I first came out of high school as yeah. opposed to doing the stuff that I did when I first first came out of mm. out of high school. So is there anything that you would you change? And it's quite acceptable to say no everything's happened for a reason no look i've been perfect every step of the way <laughs> that's it so, you've just done uh, it perfectly all the way expression. through uh no of course i've made many mistakes um look the main thing for me probably the first thing out of my hands but a the much clearer neater pathway to um becoming an accredited practitioner these days than what there was back then yeah um obviously it's not something i could necessarily change but i didn't ever sort of anticipate that i'd be 42 and still a student so you know <laughs> that's, school still? it hurts when i say it out loud actually <laughs> um but uh so you know i could have probably had a lot of that knocked over having said that i've been in a position where i was able to design my phd research pretty much how i wanted to do it my supervisor really understands the field um has been very flexible with me and we kind of put it together whereas often you know if you come straight out of um your degree and you go down the research pathway you get told, you what, get to told what to do yeah so in a way i wouldn't change it but but yeah it's worked out okay but it's just it's just tough from a life point of view is um, that impacted on the fact that there isn't that much golf research out there in that in 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 you PhD type type standard. What's that say? Sorry. Is because you got to choose how you how you studied. Is that because there's not that much out there in that PhD there's standard? Actually, but there's so much. There's actually so much. There's probably 300 peer reviewed articles on golf. But golf an, but an articles different to a PhD thesis. So is it because? Oh, well, so normally normally from a uh, from a PhD these days, you probably everyone's trying to publish. So you're probably going to publish anywhere between three to five articles. I'll probably, I might even get eight or nine out of mine okay. over the long the long term. So, um, uh, yeah, no, there's, there there is quite a lot, but the the art of science is to pick the gap in the research and to and extend fine. further on what we currently know. This is obviously stuff hasn't been done. We don't know what happens to players over the long term, which is more how it is in the real world. You yeah, know, what's it? What happens when you train someone for a longer period of time? For sure. Um, and probably the the other thing is just just time management and how to be effective. So, you know, I through through the pressure of having to get everything done at the moment. So trying to get a PhD thesis written, run my own business, work in the performance program here. I was teaching up until last year. Um, you know, young family, um, keeping a wife happy. Um, it's not that hard. It's pretty good. Um, That's the but, most important part. <laughs> that is. Um, you know, I just can't waste time. Yeah. I just cannot waste time. Um, minutes are important. So hence um, the talk. Well, probably three months to schedule this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, still number one though. No, that's it. Um, and uh, so for me, it, it's like I was always busy, and I was always driven, and I was always urgent, and I was always doing stuff. But I look back at how I was in my early twenties, late twenties, mid twenties. I was scattered. I was so scattered and I never felt like I was achieving anything, but I was busy and it's a recipe for burnout. 
It's not that satisfying when you're working that way. So for me, what I've kind of, one of the big things I've learned in the last probably two to three years is when I need to do what. So there's a, you know, I'm not going to go into time management too much, but it's even amazing that I'm talking about it. Like if anyone who knew me in my (laughs) 20s would be like, you should not be talking about this topic. (laughs) In fact, I probably still need to convince some of them now, but um, I actually think I'm a pretty good time manager now. Yeah. Um, So A, there's A, B and C tasks. So A, the things that are going to get you to where you're going to be in five years time. B, the basically spot fires that are very important and urgent, but you wish they weren't there. And C is all the little crap that you got to do, but it's not going to really get you anywhere. You'll be the, if, if all you did was B and C tasks, you'd be in the same place in five years time. So it's how to get to those A tasks. And for me, particularly with the research stuff, where you've got to sit down and concentrate. So when I get a two or a three hour block on my own at home, when the kids are at school, et cetera, or in the evening, I don't do B and C tasks then because okay. I have, that's my only time to do my important A task work, right? Um, so then I have to wedge the C tasks and the B tasks in in the cracks and yep. in the gaps. And that's just, um, I've got to be disciplined with that though because it's tempting when you get a four hour you know, block and you go, oh, I'm going to get all my stuff done and you get all your C tasks done you tick them off. Go, oh, what a great job. Yeah, I've done an awesome thing here. Yeah, yep. but really, yeah, you, you really should have been it. doing the other stuff. So stuff. trying to be discerning about that and sticking to what's the best idea, not just what I feel like doing now. Yeah, that, that, that makes complete sense. Yeah. So the final question I've got for you today is um, where you can answer either or or, or both. Where do you see yourself or your field in the next, say, five to ten years? So, Seeing as I've crapped on about that so much, I should have an answer for this. You should. I? You, I, th- I think you, you haven't covered this question quite really well as we myself. Uh, no, like I so, said, to be honest, I still want to be a practitioner. Yeah. Um, so in, I want to. Do you want to stay hands on? Yeah. I just, you know, for me, it's um, there's not enough people translating the science to the field. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if I do that as a practitioner, it benefits my clients that I work with and myself, but yeah. it doesn't necessarily benefit anyone else. So I also want to be involved in, I'm going to be putting together some educational stuff, so some workshops, maybe some online education based on the findings and the research that I've been doing. So yeah. how to help anyone who's working with golfers, um, service providers, golfers themselves, learn what the science knows, get it get it out there. So there was some um, some study done a while ago that showed that so when you when you publish an article, right, it takes at the minimum months and months and months of hard work toing and froing between really intelligent academics who know their area and then you, you submit it to a journal and the journal goes, no thanks. No. And then you submit it to the next <laughs> journal and they go, maybe, but you've got to change all these things. So then you go back to your two or three people that are smarter than me and we write up this awesome 3,000 word article which has got all this great information in it which is really rigorous, right? Because there's no, there's no rubbish in there. Yep. The rubbish just does not get through, mostly. Um, <laughs> Not to the good journals. Yeah. Um, and seven people read it and they're probably academics. Yeah, that's it. So it's just not getting to the field. Yeah. So to me, that's a role I'd like to play um, and, uh, you know, possibly stay involved with research to keep that process going. Yeah, so keep improving it. 
but yeah, but keep improving our understanding of it, but then being able to apply it as well. Yeah, so yeah. translating it and yeah. getting it into into the right to the coal face where I, awesome. you know, and so to do that, I think I need to sort of be touched, have my finger in all of those pies. Um, so ideally we can, you know, keep growing the collaborative research that's occurring with like Golf Australia is doing a little bit more of it now and, um, you know, different golf, I think the appetite for research in practice is growing, certainly is in, in the, uh, in my, with my association as an exercise physiologist, we we are. It's written in our code of ethics that we have to be evidence based. So what is that? That's yeah. a lofty goal, right? Yeah. Because you've got to translate the science yeah. into what we do every day with our with our clients. Um, but I think it's uh, that's it's becoming really common. So I'm hoping oh, that cool. you know if, if if that appetite grows, once I get past this PhD, I'll be able to continue in some role um, yeah. in that regard. Awesome. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time today, Scotty. It was really awesome to have a chat and sit down and, and go we through this through stuff right, with we? you. I think that was great. Um, had some really cool information coming out of you. So where can people find you? I'm glad I wrote this down. I actually checked to make sure that all the links <laughs> work okay. just before. Uh, well, so they want to book with me as a practitioner, which, by the way, after my PhD would be preferable, but if you're really <laughs> desperate you can, and you, you need find, me, I, I can find time. For I can you. wedge something in. Yeah. Um, so you can book with me at the PGA, pgaclp.com. There's a book now button and exercise physiology. Uh, same thing with my clinic in Sorrento, so oceanfitness.com.au. Uh, exercise physiology you'll book me there um, but we also have and this is probably an easier way to get in touch with the research that I'm starting to translate and put out there is my Facebook group yeah so if you search I think it's a private group but you basically request to join and I say yes unless you're a very strange person <laughs> I can put a link to that in the description of the podcast yeah so cool so if you if in the search bar I think if you put golf performance science so that's the name of the Facebook group um, that's probably the easiest way to stay in touch and I can share all the information that I'm finding with my PhD. We'll get some good conversations going on there. So Yeah, it is. Good. A, it's really good. We've got a group so far. So. 140, 141 members at the moment. So awesome. it's growing really quickly. So Let's good. try and build that up. So again, Scotty, thank you so much for coming out today. Really appreciate it. And um, that was good. And we'll definitely get you back to go through your PhD once you've finalized it. Yeah, cheers, mate. Awesome, we'll mate. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.